Welcome to Nerds at Church, a podcast about nerdery and the Bible. I'm Pastor Kay, and I use pronouns like she and her. And I'm Pastor Emily, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. In this episode, we'll discuss the 20th Sunday after Pentecost, also known as Lectionary 28, or Proper 23, which falls on October 10th this year. One content notification for this episode is we briefly talk about domestic abuse and some of the things that go with that and after that in our first reading. Check out the episode description for links to the Bible passages and other references we make in this episode. For our deep dive for this episode, we are diving into economic justice. This comes up a lot in both our Amos reading and our Mark reading for today, and so we wanted to explore it a lot. Also just in the Bible in general? Right. It's actually one of the most common themes in the Bible. And a quick note of how we can think about economic justice. Economic justice is also known as the exact opposite of what is happening during this pandemic. There's actually a great tweet that we will link to that points out that Before the pandemic, there was one person worth $100 billion, and now there are 10 people worth $100 billion each. And before the pandemic, those same 10 people were worth $650 billion, which is unfathomable to most of us. Now, they're worth $1.4 trillion. This all is happening. Kay and I are recording while we're trying to avoid a government shutdown, which would deny vital services to so many people because people don't want to tax the trillionaire, the billionaire, the multi-billionaires. That is what we call not economic justice. Yep. I feel like I should say something profound here, but me. When it comes to economic justice, the profound thing is it doesn't exist in this country, at least as we know it, because it didn't exist. So, Emily, can you tell us about some ideas that would encourage economic justice? Yes, in fact, we can. So one of the things that is a common kind of argument, especially among more conservative Christianities and more conservative religions, is that the Bible is very personal and individual, right? When people talk about their personal Lord and Savior. Uh, the reality is that the Bible is very, very communal and collective. The culture in which it is based is a collectivist culture, not an individualist culture. And so that means, basically, if you ever see the word you in the Bible, unless it is very clearly and explicitly referring to one person, you can assume that it's referring to a group of people. And when it comes to economic justice, that means that it's also referring to larger, more collective senses. And Rabbi Danya Rutenberg has a great Twitter thread about the ways that um, systemic action to eradicate poverty is actually biblical. And we'll link to that in the episode description. But one of the main concepts of this is the concept called Jubilee. So Jubilee is a concept in Judaism, and it comes um, a lot. It comes largely from um, Leviticus chapter twenty-five. But there are two kind of ways that it plays out. 
One is that every 50 or 49 years, there is a special year. And in this year, all debts are canceled for everyone. All slaves and prisoners are freed, and the all land is reverted back to its original owner. Rabbi Rutenberg talks about it as a social rebooting, right? Where it gives the time between those 49 or 50 years gives space for everyone to work hard and earn wealth and amass wealth. And it gives space for people to get hit hard by unfortunate events or to have just bad luck. And yet that is a limited time for either of those things. And then there's a second chance for everyone. Um, So that cycle, that type of cycle happens less frequently. And in Judaism, it actually occurred in 2017, according to the Common Era. So there's a couple different, right, the Jewish calendar is different from the calendar that Kay and I use. In the year 2017 was when that jubilee, the 5950 year cycle began. 49 or 50? Are we saying that Jewish people are also bad at math? Because this sounds like more complicated math than, you know, the usual Christians being bad at math thing. (laughs) This is is a little less Christians bad at math type of Jewish people bad at math in that um, there is debate over whether the wording in Leviticus points to... So the 49 would be seven seven seven-year periods, and 50 is after seven seven-year periods. So there's a little bit of debate over whether the 50, the like, this big jubilee, um, which is like actually called jubilee, there's a little bit of debate over whether it happens at the end of the seven cycles or as the last year of the seven cycles. Oh, so is it every seventh jubilee or is it the year after the seventh jubilee, basically? Right. It's actually, so the 50-year, 49-50-year is the one that's officially called Jubilee. The other one comes from the Jewish word, I believe it's pronounced Shemitah, and that's the seven-year cycle. So the seven-year cycle comes from the idea of Sabbath or sabbatical, Sabbath rest. So when we think about, right, the first creation story where God creates according to days, and on the seventh day God rested. That's the kind of seven-year cycle that we're talking about. And so in that seven-year cycle, at the end of seven years, well, in the seventh year, nobody would plant crops. So all of the fields would lay fallow. They would just eat what came up instead of intentionally cultivating. So it gives the land space for rest. And so those seven-year cycles we actually have just begun that year. So the 50-year cycle began in 2017. That was the year of it. But in the seven-year cycles this year, so the Jewish New Year just happened last month in September, and that began the year 5,782, which is divisible by seven, which is how we know that it is, well, a small jubilee year, a Shemitah year. Cool. So you can find out more about this in Leviticus, and we'll link to the Twitter thread that Rabbi Daniel Rutenberg had of both 
systemic biblical actions for economic justice, and specifically the part that we'll link to, though it'll show all of it, is the beginning of her talking about what exactly is a jubilee year and what that entails. I would also throw out there that if you want to go looking for this stuff in Leviticus, I would suggest looking in chapter 25. Just wandering at random through Leviticus can, you know, be a little awkward. There's stuff in there from a very different cultural time and perspective, and therefore it doesn't make a lot of sense to us these days. And yep. yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's an important thing for throughout the Bible, but especially in Leviticus. And when in doubt, if you're looking for someone to help explain it to you, Rabbi Daniel Rutenberg has probably tweeted a great Twitter thread about it. If it's anything that yes. strikes you as, this seems problematic and oppressive. It may or may not be, but probably Rabbi Rutenberg has actually like covered that topic. So when in doubt, just Google Leviticus and the chapter and the Radder, T-H-E-R-A-D-R, which is her Twitter handle, and you can get a lot of really cool stuff, actually. Yeah. So for the nerds who are not Bible or math nerds, but have been waiting for us to jump into pop culture literary, I will throw out there as well that, of course, some of you may be thinking of a character named Jubilee. Short for Jubilation Leap, Jubilee is a character from the X-Men uh, who can generate pyrotechnic energy blasts from her hands. Uh, she was introduced as an orphaned mall rat from Beverly Hills, and she joined the X-Men in the early 90s. And from what I remember of the art depicting her, wow, you can tell it's the early 90s. There was a <laughs> lot of, like, bright yellow windbreakers and stuff like that. Yes, it's very colorful. <laughs> she also looks yeah. like she's an Asian-American woman. She is, cool. yes. And she becomes the team's youngest member at the time and often plays a sidekick role to her father figure, Wolverine. As it turns out, she is not actually Jewish, uh, but there is a Jewish member of the team, Shadowcat, who she often works with. So hmm. Nice. But I thought it would have been interesting if the character named Jubilee had turned out to be Jewish. Right. That would have been awesome. Yeah. She, d unfortunately, does not make much of an appearance at all in the movies, no. Rogue kind of takes on that whole sidekick to father figure Wolverine role, which Rogue does great at, but yes. unfortunately not Jubilee. Another connection to Jubilee that Kay and I have as Lutherans is the Jubilee Collective, which is an anti-racist, queer-centered mission development in Vancouver, Washington. It is actually currently on pause. Yes, we understand the irony, but it is a great thing to check out, and they have done a lot of work already, and so there's a lot that you can look at for past worship services and sermons and queer theology, and they have a revolutionary seminary that they did in the spring, winter, spring. So cool. there's lots of connections, and they're really intentional about having economic justice be at the heart of what they do as well, because... They've been intentional about their name. Kay was saying as we were prepping for this episode that we need more places actually that are named Jubilee and that take that yeah, concept that, to heart. Yeah, that would be great. But yes, in terms of economic justice in the world today, uh, one way that we seek economic justice, or at least we have occasionally sought it in the past, uh, have included taxes. Uh, those profiting from the system in general pay back into the system through taxes and hopefully in a way that is somewhat organized and like intentionally geared to allow those 
who can pay taxes to pay taxes and who cannot pay taxes to benefit from the taxes so that they can get to the point where they can pay taxes, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. is the ideal. And oddly enough, the historical period cited as America's greatest consistently had high tax rates on the rich. And these days, the IRS can't even afford to audit the rich. So that tells you something. Yep. And that, that connects back to what we said about 100 billionaires in the pandemic and the yes. fight happening right now about raising the debt ceiling and infrastructure spending and all of that stuff would be totally solved if we taxed the rich at higher rates. Easily. And closed loopholes, of course. Yes. Meanwhile, instead, of course, there's just plenty of demonizing socialism going around when plenty of people don't actually know what that word means and keep comparing it to Nazism, which is totally wildly inaccurate. inaccurate, especially as a former philosophy major who did political philosophy, but whatever. Mm -hmm. And we also already have Medicare, so that seems a little backwards. But America is impressively far right, economically speaking, for a Western country. Yes. And socialism, just as a like brief, very, very brief one-liner about it, socialism, the concept of socialism is that the resources are shared among the people, and there is plenty for everyone, which we know Factually, we know there is plenty for everyone if it were distributed better. Um, but the idea is that no one is without food, water, shelter, the basic necessities of life, that socialism provides that for everyone. And within that, there's still space for people to do their own thing, to start businesses, to do all of that. And in fact, people have more capacity to do that because they're not worried and anxious about scraping by at a minimum wage job where the minimum wage has not kept up with inflation at all. I think that might have been more like three lines about socialism, but yes, accurate. Okay, that's fair. I'm a fan <laughs> of it, so I go on a little bit like you do. I'm stunned. <laughs> and uh, for those who are looking for a fictional story that will help you explore some concepts, not only of economic justice, but also just about the social contract in general as a concept, uh, Robert Heinlein's short story Coventry uh, is available to read online and we have a link to it in the episode description uh, and it examines what happens when people don't basically return the effort of the social contract. Uh, the social contract being that part of living in, in a society is that you make an effort to help the community and what happens when you benefit from that but you don't return the effort basically. Hmm. And for a story written by a professed libertarian who had that leaning most of his life, it actually does a pretty great job of examining the many weaknesses of libertarianism. <laughs> I actually have trouble believing that he stuck with libertarianism after writing the story, basically. I, hmm. I'm not entirely sure what was up with that, but yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know that story, but... It's definitely a sci-fi story from the, I think, 60s. So, you know, men are going to men. But <laughs> in terms of political and social concepts, uh, not bad. Yeah, I think the the one that I most thought of was, I mean, Utopia is kind of where I go to when it comes to that sort of thing. Oh, sure. It's not the same, but the concept of Utopia was that jewels were... Slightly earlier. Yeah, <laughs> just a little... Jewels were actually signs of, were not signs of prominence. And so the less fancily dressed, the more high re highly regarded people were. And 
so that's like its own flipping flipping things on its head not necessarily like a movement towards across the board economic justice and obviously it is called utopia and presented as utopia at the beginning so the plot will develop and you know written by an englishman a couple hundred years ago and therefore has some point of view issues going on yeah and you know again men are gonna men (laughs) that might be we might need to like make merchandise or shirts (laughs) and just have like men are gonna men that would be actually terrible and that's not like the main point of our podcast wait am i supposed to leave that line in or am i taking it out oh now you're leaving it in because we've talked about it enough But if you have better ideas for what we should put on our shirts, we would love to actually, like, create a merch store sometime. So if you have ideas for what would be great for our merchandise, please send us things that are better than men are gonna men. (laughs) So our first reading for this episode is from Amos chapter 5, verses 6 through 7 and 10 through 15. For those who like following rules, anyway. (laughs) The prophet Amos, not a rich man himself, speaks out against those with power and riches, telling them that these will not save them from God's judgment, because God is just and concerned with their justice toward the powerless. So one theme for this passage is consequences for injustice. Amos talks about, well, gives caution to those who are perpetrating injustice, especially economic justice and that there will be consequences and it reminded me of in the hunger games the inevitability of an uprising of course there was going to be an uprising because this injustice was continuing for so long and particularly within the hunger games like the the precise precariousness of district 12 where they were kind of forgotten gave gave space for it to grow in a particular way but in reality the whole thing is that the uprisings are inevitable and if it didn't happen in district 12 it would have happened in another district at another point because when the uprising does happen it happens in many districts but it also is you know with the french revolution and the infamous non-existent quote of a certain someone to let them eat cake that, in fact, probably was not actually said, but that was about massive poverty and massive concentrations and exuberance of wealth. And when that goes on for long enough, there comes a tipping point. And I think in this country, we're not quite there yet, but we're working towards it. (laughs) And if you want to read some history of the 1920s, it might explain a few things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I there also comes a point in any situation like that where the question is less, did you actually say that? And more, how many people think you said that? Yeah. But. yeah. So to go into the verses from verse eight, for those of us who care a little less about following the rules and uh, being precise about the lectionary, uh, because <laughs> I just really liked this reference. Verse eight says, the one who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning. 
So this verse is talking about God, and goodness knows people do love playing God, and I'm sure I could come up with lists of uh, ways we've done that. Mm -hmm. But that last bit about turning deep darkness into morning is actually pretty easy to do these days. Uh, for example, if you use a set of headlights with some red cling film over them, it can totally seem like dawn uh, in the house next door, like in the movie Hocus Pocus. <laughs> By the way, check out our guest episode on Horror Nerds at Church, coming out any day now, where we deep dive into this movie. Uh, but Horror Nerds at Church is a podcast for grown-ups, so please keep that in mind. Yes, it is. Well, maybe not grown-ups, but it's not a podcast for kids. Yeah. And it's coming out October 7th. We're super excited that we got to, just as we had Horror Nerds at Church on our podcast in our Easter season to wonder about if Jesus was a zombie, it was great fun for Kay and I to record on their podcast for Hocus Pocus. Absolutely. And for those who are saying to themselves, aren't they horror nerds at church? Does Hocus Pocus count? They do a couple of episodes every year of edge cases that are not quite full-on horror, but share themes uh, for those who like the concept of the podcast, but don't actually like the horror genre in general. Uh, and yes. we appreciate that welcoming uh, and inclusiveness, too. Yes. Because we're am, definitely on that list. I was going to say, I am definitely not a horror nerd, but yeah, each season they have, I think, at least two episodes. Their first season they had The Mummy and something else. I do love that movie. Yeah. yeah. And so they did. we did Hocus Pocus together, and it was fun. And they have some episodes that are just like mini-sodes that are horror stories from church. Church horror yeah. stories. That really happened. And I think they're branching out in their Patreon to do television episodes. So oh, they cool. might have like Buffy or The Handmaid's Tale or other stuff. Yeah, that was total digression, but you should definitely check out our episode and we will link to them. This episode comes out a couple days before their episode, so we'll have links to where you can find our episode when it comes out on the 7th, but um, you should just... Check them out and subscribe to them anyway, just Absolutely. to be safe. And then in verse 10, we read, They hate the one who reproves in the gate, and they abhor the one who speaks the truth. And it reminded me of a couple different things, and it's fascinating to me that they're both women, but the ones who speak truth and reprove those who perpetrate injustice. So thinking about in the Graceling books, Katza's counsel that she creates and the ways that they reprove through action those who perpetrate injustice by stopping the injustice. But also then Katza, in the middle of the book, does speak truth and she has the power that she didn't always recognize she had to speak that truth because there is a certain amount of power needed to speak the truth without fear of repercussions. Um, there are lots of us who speak the truth and face repercussions. But the other one was Agent Carter from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes. She speaks truth, but also in a very, like, British way, and then sometimes just, like, goes around <laughs> the people to do the right thing anyway. Um, so she speaks truth. I, I'm sorry, the phrase, she speaks truth in a very British way. Yes, absolutely accurate and also hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she reproves people who do wrong. I just, last night, watched the What If that so there's Disney Plus I think Oh I need to try those. They sound like fun. Yeah. yeah, it's it's cute. It's like fan fiction 
it's basically Disney Plus. It's Marvel Cinematic Universe fan fiction, but you just get one episode instead of a longer story. So there's a little bit where I like, wow, I wish it were Captain Carter instead of Captain America. And I think that would go in like a whole different direction. And I would probably love that series even more than I love the Captain America series. Because also those fan fiction stories exist on the Internet. It's true. I find the concept of the show interesting. I'm a little nervous of the concept of people who are already showrunners or already involved in the thing trying to do fan fiction because fan fiction is supposed to be of the people, you know? But I, yeah. Yeah, it's, and they That's don't. That's a whole different digression we don't have to go into. Yeah, so. and they don't call it fan fiction. I got into it because right, I'm excited for the second episode of the series, which has King T'Challa. And I just miss Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, gracious. In verse 12, we read, For I know how many are your transgressions, and how great are your sins, you who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe, and push aside the needy in the gate. So why is it that all the fictional references that I can think of for this verse all involve American politics? <laughs> I don't really have a good answer for that. But, because American uh, this politics time, are inherently corrupt. I, I mean, I'm from Illinois. It, I'm used to the concept of when the governor finishes their term, you send them to jail for a while. So I can't really argue with that. <laughs> I have emotions about Rog Blagojevich that I'm not going to go into, but Ooh. moving on. Uh, this time, I'm thinking of an episode of the show Person of Interest called Death Benefit, where okay. they guard a politician for an episode who seems to be impressively decent at first and has a number of popular public-facing policies. Uh, the one that has always stuck with me is the idea that they, if you come upon them in a restaurant and you're one of their and you're one of uh, his constituents, he will buy you a meal. Uh, that's uh, and especially uh, people who are that not doing well or who suspicious. are houseless do that. Gotcha. Yeah, but it's a it's a popular idea and it's a way for him to give back and yeah. uh, it seems like a really great concept. But as it turns out, he's actually working for an organization that wants to institute a massive and deeply creepy level of surveillance on the public. This is, of course, mm. a show that happened slightly before Edward Snowden. Mm. so yeah complicated i looked at that also and there's an episode of leverage the new season oh, yes. of leverage i didn't see i didn't watch the old season of leverage there's an episode in the new season of leverage of a town where the crime rate has dropped to zero and it's because they have instituted this like ridiculously creepy level of surveillance and stuff so like they predict when somebody's gonna break the law or whatever and this is problematic first and foremost in how they get involved because someone who the team in the original series had like erased from public stuff because she had an abusive partner because of all of the surveillance the partner the abusive partner is able to find her and so, and her kid. And so there's this, like, that's how they get involved. And then it's like them as criminals trying to, like, not get caught. Yeah. For being criminals and thing. It's a whole thing. But yeah, it's surveillance is dangerous and we need to protect privacy. And this is my so government conspiracy. <laughs> this is my government conspiracy that I hold on to. Everyone in my family has a different one. 
a lot of some more <laughs> more than one. <laughs> this is like one of the core ones. I I love the thought of a family having that tradition that we all have our own government conspiracy. You know, yeah, family bonding time. Indeed. Our second reading for this episode is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. God's words for us are dynamic and alive, and our high priest, Jesus, knows what it is to be human, and so is accessible to humanity. So one of the themes in this passage is hierarchy or boundary crossing. There's a lot of kind of talking about the high priest who comes down and that sort of thing. And it reminded me of two that things. That is basically Hebrews for you. Yeah, yeah that's the like book. the entirety of Hebrews. And it reminded me of two things. One, two stories. One is the Princess Switch movies, which are cute Netflix Christmas movies. It's it's like the other one, The Prince and the Popper, which, disclaimer, I only know the wishbone version of this story. But the prince and the popper, they look the same, and so they swap places. And the princess switch is a little bit more in line with this Hebrews concept because they switch places, but then it turns out that the person who is not the fancy rich person does fall in love with the actual, like, royal person and is better equipped to be a government official and to help rule a country than the other one who's like, nah, I just want to be, like, a normal human being. So, the princess witch kind of really gets at this more so than even the prince and the pauper does. Although, Wishbone in The Prince and the Pauper is adorable, and I loved Wishbone growing up, so I have not returned to it. I don't know if it stands up to the test of time and my own growth and learning, but Wishbone's adorable. I personally did not really grow up with Wishbone. I think it was just a timing thing, but I know people who did, and uh, they have rewatched several of them, and they say that, yes, they have absolutely stood the test of time. Uh, because, you know, if you can have a classic story that also happens to include a Jack Russell Terrier, why not? So. And then as we dive into the readings, in verse 12, we read, Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In this, I thought of, within the Divergent series, the serum that they use and the machine that goes with it to do the fear simulations and any simulation is about internal piercing. So it's it's the getting at what is inside of a person and inside of a person's thoughts and perspectives. Not necessarily the group splitting one one group from another. And part of this is because, right, it talks about a two-edged sword. And if the sword has two edges, it means that if you're trying to cut someone else with it, you will likely cut yourself. So if you're trying to use the word of God to judge others, the reality is that you're being judged yourself. So this is, the intention is to call us to our better selves. And especially within our topic of today, to point out how harmful it is to economically exploit others. Yeah. Also, that concept from Divergent sounds incredibly creepy and weird. Oh, for sure. For sure. A little creepy. There's some surveillance stuff in that too. Mm -hmm. Sensing a theme. In verse 13, we read, And before God no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one whom, to whom we must render an account. 
So I just rewatched the Star Trek The Next Generation episode Deja Q a couple of days ago. And so this this Deja verse made Q. me think of Q. That's cute. Yes. Oh, all of the Q episode names are fabulous. I love them all. Nice. And that's just part of who Q is, really. Uh, but Q, if you didn't know, is a omnipotent and almost omniscient being who's uh, immortal and incredibly powerful, uh, who is a recurring character on uh, The Next Generation and also appears in a few other uh, Star Trek series and honestly is one of my f favorite Star Trek people. And the thing is, he's magnificently powerful. He has all the time in the universe, quite literally. He could be doing anything... And he enjoys bugging the crew of the Enterprise, which, like, let's be honest, <laughs> wouldn't you? So, mm -hmm. uh, you'd expect him with all that, uh, and yes, he does use he, him pronouns, although he's not human. You'd expect him with all that knowledge and millennia of experience and so forth to be able to do this with people, to be able to, to understand exactly what's going on with people at all times and, like, what their inner thoughts and motivations are after having uh, observed various races and species for so long. But... He is just continually surprised by the choices and the actions of mortals, uh, mostly because he isn't one, which is actually mm -hmm. explored pretty thoroughly in that particular episode, Deja Q, because that's the one where he is temporarily turned human, uh, which is complicated. But he isn't mortal himself, and therefore the actions and choices of mortals don't make any sense to him. Which kind of makes sense, but also in the Bible we see throughout that God does seem to understand us, uh, in part because of the whole being Jesus thing. And that is an interesting way of comparing God and Q, which is something mm. I like to do from time to time. So. Yeah. I think it's also, like, it's not just, like, the Jesus factor, um, which feels like a no. sh TV show title. Oh, I'll get to that in just a minute. But it's also that God created us, right? Created humanity. And so there's that sort of connection yes. that throughout scripture, God is always coming to humanity and coming back to humanity because we are God. Yeah, and that's interesting. Creatures. Come to think of it, I don't think Q or any of his fellow Q, uh, Q is both his name and also the name of his race, which just to be extra complicated, they also all call each other Q, which is hilarious. Like you do. We only meet a few of them. And the, he, at least in particular, does not actually create much. He's he's very much in a critic role mm. and uh, will critique literally anything. <laughs> but he doesn't create much uh, living or non-living, which is a thought I hadn't really had about him before. So thank you. You're welcome. I also looked at verse 13 and particularly the part of... All are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. And it reminded me of Sensate, which I watched a little while ago. And all thoughts are laid bare the and like all everything to a certain extent, at yeah. least within your cluster, within the group of people that with whom you share a deep telepathic connection. Your thoughts are laid bare, so you can communicate through thoughts and through words, but also you can show up in each other's places and see your each other's surroundings. And so there are a couple, <laughs> there are a couple of scenes that are not appropriate for children, of oh, yeah. being naked and laid bare together. Sure. And then in verse 15, we read, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. 
And so that phrase, tested as we are, it made me think of all the different things that Jesus went through, uh, from presumably having annoying neighbors and stubbing his toe occasionally and so forth, <laughs> uh, to actually full on being crucified and dying that way. And this verse makes me wonder, can we compare Jesus's life to the Truman Show? Is that what the Jesus factor would actually be? Ooh. Because if part of why Jesus came was to be tested as we are and truly understand humanity, is it that he experienced humanity or is it that he experienced a intentionally created version of humanity like the Truman Show? He, you know, the Truman Show, you would say, oh, uh, Truman totally had life experience, except did he really? Because it was all intentionally created for him yeah. and around him. And you know, what person is used to having product placements in their <laughs> life? And <laughs> if that's you, by the way, uh, you, you might want to look around and uh, investigate some things. I'm just saying. Yeah. See if, um, see if you can reach that horizon that you see. Yeah. But like, was Jesus on display for humanity, although through the Bible and not through the television? Although, wow, that would be extremely weird in a similar way to Truman uh, just for different reasons I so I hadn't really thought of comparing Jesus to the Truman uh, the Truman show before but I kind of like the thought yeah it's fascinating I would be interested I feel like the book Lamb the Gospel According to Biff Christ's Childhood Pal which is I really do have to read that it sounds hilarious and a little bit raunchy does some of that of like kind of doing the the funner more like off the cuff spontaneous not not just like these are the teachings of jesus and the actions of famous jesus but like growing up what was what was joshua like kind of thing jesus's first attempts at carpentry and why he did not follow that route right (laughs) possibly that kind of thing yeah yeah our gospel reading for this episode is from mark chapter 10 verses 17 through 31 A rich man approaches Jesus to ask how to be saved, and when he claims to follow all the commandments, Jesus instructs him to give everything he has to the poor, and he goes away grieving. Jesus then reminds his disciples that all things are possible with God, but God's idea of who is important may upend our ideas on the subject. So one of the themes for this passage is the redistribution of wealth. Jesus explicitly calls the man to... a total redistribution of his wealth. And I was trying to think of examples and having trouble. The first thought that I had was uh, Melissa, who used to be Bezos, uh, Jeff Bezos's ex-wife, who has been going around giving out massive amounts of money to all sorts of causes lately. Yes, that is a great example. And I was trying to think of like fiction or something but like so many so much of our fiction and like dystopias and all of that stuff even when they conclude there's not a radical redistribution of wealth it is just like maybe the people at the very bottom get a little bit more but there's not this like upending of or yeah yeah or like often the people at the very bottom okay they're not going to be you know chased and beaten on a regular basis anymore but they're that doesn't mean that they're going to be well off either yeah, the first thought I had about a fictional concept for this was the Batman Begins sequel. I don't remember the names of the two movies that came after that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Where all the rich people's houses in Manhattan are broken into and inhabited by the populace. Uh, but that whole series of scenes actually I found disturbing for any number of reasons. So, uh, Yeah, I that actually then remind, 
that reminds me of Robin Hood, the original yes. redistributor of wealth in fiction. Absolutely. Right? Rob from the rich and give to the poor. Go Robin Hood. And look great doing it. Yes. Uh, sure. Well, I mean, look foxy doing it, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> the the one Robin Hood who was actually better than Errol Flynn. So. <laughs> the main Robin Hood that I know. Apparently, I just yes, do. I just absolutely. know the things when they have, have animals as the main characters. <laughs> That's Wish probably Bone, fair. Robin Hood the Fox. I mean, you know, also Carrie Elwes could actually speak with a British accent, which was nice. And uh, Kevin Costner's movie was not actually as terrible as a lot of people thought it was. But Are any of those Robin Hood men in tights? Robin Hood men in tights was Carrie Elwes. Uh, okay. Kevin Costner was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Gotcha. Thanks. I was like, I don't know names of people. <laughs> in verse 17, we read, As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So why do people keep insisting on earning this? Like, mm. Why not just skip through the needing to earn it by grace? Like, I'm I'm just saying that grace is an option. Why do you have to insist on earning it? Maybe it's a <laughs> self-worth thing. I don't know. But get yourself some therapy, dude. You have money. It'll be fine. Uh, no, moving on. <laughs> this guy, I don't exactly know how to describe this relationship I'm suggesting, but he seems like a bizarrely backwards version of James Kirk from... Uh, especially as illustrated in the Star Trek reboot movies by Chris Pine, who insisted on winning the Kobayashi Maru, which was the unwinnable simulation at Starfleet Academy that was supposed to teach you that sometimes, no matter what you do, you're just not going to win. He broke the program in order to beat it <laughs> because winning was so important to him, which explains a lot about his character. But this guy talking to Jesus seems like the kind of guy who would still insist on being able to win the Kobayashi Maru, but would insist on doing it by the book according to the rules over and over and over again until he, you know, presumably died or something. <laughs> and I just, yeah, I, j grace is a thing, people. J calm down. Yeah. It'll be okay. Well, and the interesting thing with that particular verse, right, is that he says, inherit eternal or everlasting life. So it's not even necessarily about earning, but like, how do I get it so that this inheritance Ooh, comes to me, which is a very like rich entitled rich kid. Thing to say. Yeah. And, and yeah. inheritance comes up quite a bit in scripture, especially in the New Testament, the way we talk about like inheriting, being adopted into the family of God, that sort of thing, and sharing our inheritance sure. with Jesus. And there's, I've never really thought about it in with a particular like economic lens but this idea that like the guy's like what can I do to inherit this and like of course his assumption is that he's going to inherit the wealth of the generation before him wow I could make some comments on American Christianity right there mm-hmm mm -hmm. yeah I was like white people particularly right but moving on yeah Sorry. I was looking at this verse and Actually, the thing that came to mind uh, for the first verse was when Jesus, as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man runs up and kneels before him and asks the question. And I was like, the thing that came to mind was the fellowship of the ring when they're just setting out. And like, can you imagine, right, the iconic view of the fellowship with Frodo at the front, like all walking together. And instead of Frodo, like whispering to Gandalf, do I go right or left? 
it's like all of a sudden a random stranger like runs into the middle of them and is like, wait, I have a question for you, Frodo. <laughs> well, okay, let's be honest. They wouldn't be asking Frodo. They'd be asking Gandalf. No. Like any reasonable person. No. Would be. That's the whole thing. I, I think it has that Frodo, to be Frodo is the Jesus character, but still, I okay. I think it I think it's even greater. So they like, would ask Frodo and then Frodo really? would ask Gandalf and then yeah. Gandalf would tell Frodo and then Frodo would tell the guy. Yeah. Yeah, okay, that's exactly. probably fair. Obviously. Yeah. No, so I was thinking about that, but I do think that there's something to this inheritance and the way that the guy is asking about inheriting and the inheritance yeah. of wealth cuz that happens like in the prequel to The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, where that's where we like get this inside view of how the capital works and the and the dangers of inheriting wealth where Cornelius Snow's family was one of the very wealthy families, but they invested all of their stuff in District 13. And so when District 13 broke off and became its own thing, they lost all of their wealth, but they still have to like... Perform well. Yeah, they lose all of their wealth, but still have to, like, give off the idea that they are wealthy until they can get it back again because of, like, how they have to, like, be perceived and all of that stuff. Yeah. Whereas, since I... That's not one of my fandoms. uh, You now have me wondering, if Frodo is the Jesus character, does that mean make Gandalf the Holy Spirit? Mm, Or... I mean, he does actually kind of fly around and can definitely do wind and fire and stuff. That's fair. I mean, Merry and Pippin have the spirit of the Holy Spirit. In terms of unexpected and occasionally slightly ridiculous. <laughs> yes. Um, and Aragorn, or Strider, as he's first known, has kind of the M.O. of the Holy Spirit. Sneaky in the shadows, not always noticed. Sure. But Gandalf does fly. Maybe Gandalf is the word rather than the Holy Spirit. Gandalf does no words. Well, including how to say friend in Elvish, but... <laughs> yeah, not that he knows that that's... But but Frodo is the one who, who figures, figures it out. It out. Yes. Yeah. And in verse 25, we read, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, look, I have heard the rumors about the gate in Jerusalem that was supposedly slightly smaller than most camels and was known as the eye or whatever. It's heavily debated. (laughs) I don't actually care. What I want to know is why has no one made the Magic School Bus episode where Mrs. Frizzle takes the class down to a microscopic level and discovered that along with cells and mitochondria and so forth, there are also teeny tiny camels. And not only do they pass through the eyes of needles, but so does her whole shrunken school bus. Like that is the episode. I want. Thank you very much. That's or like, fantastic. if we're going to make religious cartoons, can we let the Veggie Tales finally go because they had their time and they're good now, and we can do a religious version of the Magic School Bus with a slightly different Miss Frizzle who can, you know, do wacky adventures like this? Oh my gosh, I would love that. That would be so amazing. And the themed outfits, obviously. The themed outfits are key. If you don't have the themed outfits, then what is the point, really? Yes, I assume that her dress for this one has lots of camels on it. And mm-hmm. possibly needles. And sewing needles. <gasps> Threading oh, sewing the ca- camels. Yep. <laughs> and then in verse 31. Wow, it's a like Hunger Gamesy kind of day for me. <laughs> and then in verse 31, we read, But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. And in Hunger Games, this happens with District 12 when they actually win the Hunger Games. Then they who had previously been the first 
group in the celebrations, because they're the lowest, become the la- the final district for the celebratory, celebratory in quotes, feast of the Hunger Games. But it also happens when District 13, which is the last number of districts, becomes the first in leadership. But both of these swaps are super problematic, in case it's not obvious that the Hunger Games concept is problematic in general and celebrating one, or in this case, two people uh, surviving the slaughter of, you know, 22 other people. That's problematic. But also the way that District 13 operates, it operates in such a, like, opposite way of the capital that it is also problematic. And so in the end, what happens is that neither 13 nor the capital are the ones to rule because, well, mostly because Cat Katniss assassinates <laughs> yeah people but yeah problematic spots analogies don't have to be perfect exactly so true so true thanks for joining us catch us next time when we'll discuss nerdery connections to the scripture readings for the 21st Sunday after Pentecost this podcast has been produced by us Emily Ewing and Kay Roloff for more fun check us out on Twitter and Facebook at N-E-R-D-S-A-T-C-H-U-R-C-H nerds at church or contact us at nerds at church at gmail.com plus if you want some spooky fun for your after hours podcasts check us out on horror nerds at church the episode will come out on october 7th and we've linked to horror nerds at church in our episode description so you should be able to find the episode there or wherever you catch your podcasts make sure you are subscribed to us and also to horror nerds at church and then you'll be sure to get it also if you like what you've heard rate us or leave us a review on apple podcasts facebook or wherever you catch your podcasts if you want access to our full guest episodes and interviews support us on patreon at patreon.com slash nerds at church we hope patreon can help us get our episodes transcribed for those who need or prefer that though if you want to help us with transcripts let us know via email or social media As the ancient Christian said, Pax Pax Vobiscum. Vobiscum.